Hey, everybody. Absolutely fantastic interview here with streetwear, fashion, and design icon, the one and only Jeff Staple. He takes us through his entrepreneurial beginnings as an artist, uh, you know, a clothing designer in New York City, how he got to be the professional that he is today, the entrepreneur that he is today, and how he got introduced to Web3, what it was like to work with Artifact, a lot about his Stapleverse collections and what the future holds for them. Overall, it's an absolutely fantastic interview. I'm a little bit starstruck during it. It's an absolute jam. I hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of the NFT show, an interview with the one and only streetwear and sneaker and design legend, the one and only Jeff Staple. As usual, nothing in this video is financial advice. We are not financial advisors. The NFT space is incredibly risky, so always do your own research. If you enjoy the content, please like, subscribe, share the video with your friends. It really helps us out. But without any further ado, the man himself, Jeff Staple. How's it going, man? What up, guys? How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to do this. Our pleasure. We're excited, too. Thank you for coming on. Um, you know, obviously, I already kind of referenced your fashion fashion legend, streetwear legend uh, to many people. Could you, if people are unfamiliar with you, could you share a little bit about, you know, who you are and what your career has kind of looked like? Sure. Um, again, my name is Jeff Staple. I founded a brand in 1997. Uh, called Staple. Um, it is a uh, primarily uh, streetwear-based brand, started in uh, physical apparel. Uh, I was actually going to art school at Parsons School of Design at the time. Um, I decided to hand print some of my art onto t-shirts instead of like traditional uh, paper or canvas. Um, and those 12 t-shirts sold at a boutique in downtown Soho. 12 became 24, 24 became 48. And 25 years later, we have Staple, which is a full-blown uh, collection of uh, tops, bottoms, accessories. We're distributed globally, worldwide. Um, and I'm, I'm super proud of the work that we do. We do a lot of collaborative work as well, as you can see right there on the, bo on the bottom right. Um, and Pio, people can see this, right? They're seeing this as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. So this is like our collaboration with the NFL. We're the first brand ever to collaborate with all 32 NFL teams at the same time. So this is like our, our Tampa Bay Bucks new era cap. Uh, but we've done some incredible collaborations throughout throughout history. Uh, there's a, some Cole Hans that we just dropped for, for people uh, who are into like sort of more sophisticated work. But here's all the NFL caps and stuff. Um, yeah, so uh, we're really proud of all the collaborations we've done. In 2005, you might have heard probably one of the most iconic collaborations that we did with Nike. It's called the Nike SB Pigeon Dunk. And that is what really kicked off. Um, a lot of people would say that kicked off sneaker culture to the masses in general, you know. Um, so uh, if anyone's got 50 racks that they want to burn through, uh, this is a good way to make that. Oh, this was this is a good one. 38,000. Not bad. Uh, you, can get, you get a steal here. Um, but this is Bear the market. Pigeon dunk. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's hitting everyone. <laughs> what the hell? Do you have, have you ever worn these outside? Oh yeah, I wear these to like play ball <laughs> and skate and everything. Yeah, exactly. How many, but do, I'm assuming you have a bunch of them. No, I only I only have one. Um, you know, people think that I hoarded a whole bunch of these, but I, I didn't. And if you look under there, we've made other iterations like the panda pigeon, the black pigeon. So there's other ones that you could get for for. Uh, a more reasonable price, like eight hundred or a thousand dollars, but um, that OG one is like yeah, around fifty k. Um, so there's Staple, which is the clothing line, um, and the the infamous icon for our for our clothing line is the pigeon, 
which you'll see recurring in a lot of our motifs. It's kind of like our polo horse, if you will. Um, I love this, like in real time, Vanna Whiting you're doing, man. It's awesome. <laughs> this is your like skill. Uh, and then we also have a, we have a creative agency called Read Art Department, where we take everything that we've learned from the last quarter century and then just sort of distill it for, for select clients that we work with. Um, and then most recently, uh, you know, we founded Stapleverse, which is my foray into everything Web3, blockchain, NFT, digital asset. Uh, so I, I've kind of got these like three things that I, I'm sort of focused on, uh, along with a, a bunch of other stuff, but mainly these things. Yeah. And I mean, you say a bunch of other stuff. I follow, I followed you on Instagram for a while. There is a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I can yeah. only imagine what the schedule for a day in the life of Jeff Staple looks like. Um, before we, I want to, obviously this is an NFT show. I want to get to Stapleverse and talk about that. But so I don't, I'm not that familiar with the streetwear world. I don't come from the streetwear world. Some of my friends like Fran Alations, uh, you know, one of the guys that works with us, Easy Eats Bodega, huge on the streetwear world. And, and Easy basically gave me the perspective on those sneakers, that $38,000 floor sneaker yeah. and, and the significance and everything like that, uh, you know, months ago when, when Stapleverse first dropped. Um, mm -hmm. My understanding is making it in the streetwear world is really hard. Am I am I out to lunch on that, or is it hard as hell to make well, it in the streetwear world? My understanding is all I got to do is start with one hoodie, and that I'm I'm fast on my path to conquering the entire industry. <laughs> Throw a seagull on it, and then there yeah. you go, you're in. <laughs> well, it's it's always uh it's always easy to do something one time or two times. You know, it's maybe it's like music. Like, how do I become a legendary musician? Like, yeah, you could maybe make one hit if you can, but then. How do you sustain that year after year after year and for decades? And uh, and and really, to me, the most fulfilling team uh, is is having a team. That's the most fulfilling thing. It's like, you know, you can as a as a one person make one shirt and sell a hundred of those shirts, and congrats, you are dipping your pinky toe into streetwear. But you know, I have a team of over fifty people. They're like everyone's got four hundred one k profit sharing. Like it's like a full on company, and to build that out of this culture is very unique and challenging, you know? Um, yeah. I'm curious on the company side, but more importantly, what would you say would be like, was probably like the biggest catalyst to bring, uh, you know, staple the brand to uh, like, w w or, or if there were, I'm sure there were multiple catalysts that occurred throughout the life of your business. What would you say like some of those biggest uh, things were, and what was the earliest one that really uh, helped, uh, you know, you jump, I don't want to say jump the shark, uh, but take things to the next level. Yeah, there were so many. I would I would actually identify it more as like sort of like consistent blips versus like these big mm -hmm. hockey stick moments. These crypto style waves of adoption. <laughs> yeah, the roller coasters. And I, to be honest, I actually prefer it that way. You know, I, like you said, this happens in crypto, but this happens in street fashion as well, where like a kid will be making a T-shirt out of his mom's basement. And then all of a sudden, like you know, Drake or Pharrell wears it. And then overnight, the kid gets like $5 million in orders. The problem is, as you guys know, he, he or she doesn't have the infrastructure to handle that. So that can actually put him or her out of business, you know, and I'm glad that we've had this exponential growth. But um, early on, like in the very, very early days, like a couple of like really influential hip hop artists were wearing staple organically. Uh, so this is like a shout out to most Def, Talib Kweli and The Roots. Uh, these guys represented really early quest love represented black thought represented. Um, and if you know anything about hip hop culture, these are like the architect, like the foundation of like true, like true hip hop, you know what I yeah. mean? So to have those guys rocket was, was really big. 
And then, uh, and then a couple of years later, I think getting cosigns from big retailers. Uh, so like early on, Urban Outfitters placed a significant order that helped to fund it. Uh, and then the other big thing was uh, Japan. I think that was the first country outside of America that we actually sold in. So to be like in Tokyo on the other side of the world and the most influential city culturally in the world was also huge as well. And and the the, the Japanese guy who bought it in New York, brought it back to Japan to then import like thousands more. Uh, he bought that one shirt at a boutique in Soho. So like it's all these little like breadcrumb moments that happen. You know, you can't, you can't draw it up better than all that. I want Nick to ask his question, but just to recap that. All right. So you got most of black, you know, the roots like Black Thought and Questlove, Talib Kweli. Like these are like hip hop, uh, like rappers, rappers, so to speak. Right. So like yeah. icons, right. Like not mainstream yeah. BS, like real stuff. Uh, that story you told me about the the um, T or the, that you just mentioned about the T-shirt. Was that then the basis for that episode? of the show on HBO that was short-lived. Uh, I think it's How, How to, to Make, make it, it in America. America. Is it? How to Make it in America. So I never watched that show before. Okay. Right. But when that show came out, my phone blew up because people were like, yo, Jeff, they're reenacting your whole life story, you know? Yeah. Uh, so a bunch of people told me that. Uh, and actually, Kid Cudi also, you know, he was on that show. He represented very early on as well. And in fact, we just did a collaboration last month. He has a new show on Netflix called Intergalactic. Yep. And Netflix asked Staple to create the intergalactic physical collection. So, uh, you know, Kid Cudi rocked the whole thing. It was pretty dope. Um, so shout out to shout out to all those people as well. But yes, that story of like, you know, that that going back to that time where I printed those 12 shirts at art school, the art teacher actually told me you're not allowed to print on shirts in this class. They, he said you can only print on paper in this class. You can't bring in a shirt and print it. And in my head, I'm like, well, why the fuck not? Like, what, like, what difference does it make to you, right? Um, and so when he told me no, me and a homie decided, you know what? Let's leave the window of the silkscreen lab unlocked and just climb into the window at night after school's closed. And let's just use their facilities to print shirts all night long. And we did that for months. Like, we basically created a mini sweatshop at my art school all night long of just, like, printing shirts. <laughs> You that's to, that's you pretty commit, gangster. I like yeah, that. Super gangster. You had to commit B and E to just do the thing you were going to school for. Gotta love the education system. Exactly. That's how you learn. School of hard knocks. You know. What? So what? How did they? How did people end up discovering this? Because you mentioned uh, the, the various artists who ended up getting at Roots to leave Quelly. Uh, like, did they like walk into a store? Was this on? Like, okay, so you you had a storefront. Well, no, I didn't have a storefront. I, the two, the first two stores that carried Staple were really influential. One was a store called Triple Five Soul, which is no longer around. But for those who know early streetwear days, that was a legendary store. The second store is still in business. It's called Union. Union only has a store in LA now. And Union does like the most amazing uh, Nike, Jordan collaborations and stuff. But their store used to be in Soho, New York. So those two were my favorite stores when I printed my first shirts. Actually, to be to be honest, I wasn't even trying to sell to them. I just wore my shirt that I printed into the store. Mm. And the manager was like, yo, where'd you get that shirt? And I was like, oh, I made it. And he's like, make 12 more. We'll put them in the shop. And business was started. You know, that's how that's how it began. And then because those stores were so cool, cool people shopped in that store like yeah. most Dev and Tal Quali. And then that's how it happened. All, all organically. I mean, that sounds like a major catalyst chance uh, as well as like, I mean, your willingness to just, uh, you know, uh, break into your own school. Um, I, I think expelled. those two things. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, you weren't expelled, were you? No, I, 
I wasn't expelled, but I did drop out. Uh, I didn't graduate. But I, I will say that the, the lesson there is that like, I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to like break the law. But my thing is like, if someone tells you something and you question that and it doesn't hurt anybody, I'm of the mindset like, yo, bend those rules until like just before they snap. But like, if I did, if I just listened to that teacher, I was like, yes, sir. No, no printing on shirt. Like I wouldn't be where I am today, you know? I mean, it's, an, it's more uh, um, Ameri uh, American approach. I wonder if you start, you mentioned Japan as being a, another catalyst. I don't uh, like the culture there. I, I don't know if someone in Japan would have like broke when the, when the person was like, yo, you can't do this would have been like, nah, man, screw you. I'm doing <laughs> yeah. that. That's a very like American attitude sort of totally. approach to things. Well, Nick, let me tell you this funny story. The, the friend that I had break into school with me, he was a Japanese exchange student. Oh shit! Right? So the, the whole time he's like, "Ah, oh, Jeffu, I don't know. This is the this is like he's like shitting in his pants." But I'm like, "Bro, this is a New York moment, man. You're we're in New York City. We're about to break into this school. Like, we literally took we would buy blank shirts, ink, and squeegees from Chinatown at Pearl Paint. I don't know if you from Pearl Paint, but like because I what I didn't want to do is get get in trouble for using school supplies like mm -hmm. illegally. So I was like, "No, I'm using my own supplies." And we would fill up a pillowcase filled with this shit, throw it into the window, and then we would climb into the window. And wow. he was just having the most like New York moment. He's got stories for life now when he goes back to Tokyo. I will say some of my best stories were with uh, Japanese uh, students who were, I lived with a house filled of, it was all Japanese guys actually. And we'd host parties. Wow. Anyways, I don't need to go down that path because my story does not uh, result in such epic a tale where, where I generated a massive streetwear brand. So there, there's, there is, there is, that's about it. the similarities end at that yeah. point. Uh, but I, I also want to add that, like, just to, just to remind everyone who's watching the year was 1997. Yeah. Okay. My business card had a landline phone number on it. No yeah. mobile phone, no email address. The the internet back then was a fucking CD-ROM that AOL sent you in the mail. That's how you got online. So like when people talk about oh web two, web two, I'm fucking <laughs> pre-web here doing this shit, you know. So uh, it was a whole different era. But I think what's what's been a lot of fun to witness is marketing or product development in that era versus today is. There's so many differences and so many things that are crazy, but there's also a lot of really interesting common themes that, you know, sort of ride through the generations. Yeah, like, I mean, and, and that entrepreneurial spirit and determination where somebody literally told you not to do something, you said, well, why, like, why would I not do that? I'm not hurting anybody. What's the, the benefit of not doing it? And then taking matters in your own hands and running with it and then, you know, having the resulting uh, kind of story develop. It's incredible stuff. Um, so we just talked about you're basically starting in web zero um, and you alluded to like, you know, web two and web three. What was your introduction to like, quote unquote, Web3? Did you like buy cryptocurrency earlier? Were NFTs your first kind of foray into it? Like how did Web3 enter your life? Uh, Got to give a big shout out to Zora. So Zora was approaching me about trying to do something where it, this is sort of pre-NFT, but the idea of doing a physical drop on Zora. So we did a, we did a Coca-Cola Nike Dunk sneaker in very limited quantities that we did the drop on Zora as um, as a Dutch auction, I believe is what it's called. And so did that on Zora. And then uh, it sort of opened my eyes. It was sort of like the uh, the gateway drug, if you will, onto like what's happening here. And that was like 
damn near. That was pre-COVID, so that was a really long time ago. Um, Zora has since pivoted their whole business plan, but like that was the that was the original one. And then I just started observing what was happening. People were telling me about NFTs, and similar to what you were saying, the, the same way that people were like, "You can't print on shirts. You're wasting your time printing on shirts. You're wasting your time collecting sneakers and stuff like that." I mean, every, anyone who's in NFTs now knows that there's probably the majority of people in their surrounding lives are like, what are you wasting your time on these fucking JPEGs? This is such a crock of shit. It's a Ponzi scheme, right? So we're I'm hearing that same shit today that I heard back then. So I could definitely relate. Um, and I was, you know, back in like 17, 18, 2019, I was sort of ascertaining myself whether this was real or not. Um, and then uh, and then let's see what happened next. After that, then... Uh, I mean, I know this sounds really like sort of almost like a flex, but it's not a flex. But then Artifact called <laughs> and I started talking to Artifact and Artifact. You have to remember Artifact in 2019, you know, 2020 wasn't Artifact today. Right. This is like three cool guys that like we just bonded over like IGDMs and we just started talking. And that's how it began with with Artifact. And it's just, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, Jeff, you're you're so like. You, you, of course you, you're winning. Cause like you picked artifact to work with. It's like, no, like we were both on the ground, not knowing what the fuck we're doing. And we decided to build together very similar to Nike SB back in 2005, like Nike SB back then wasn't like, that was actually Nike's second attempt at skateboarding. They failed miserably at their first attempt at skateboarding. And so I think it's just really about trusting my gut. I like these guys. I like the, what they were saying. I like what they were doing. And so we decided, and obviously they, like what I was doing enough to do a collaboration. So uh, this was the beginning of, of a big one and it ended up becoming, I would, I would dare say historic. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, go ahead, Nick. It sounds like, well, one thing that stands out to me here is like at that point when Artifact reach, reached out, I, I get the vibe. Well, to be fair, the founders of Artifact and primarily I'm blanking on which one had uh, designed the shoes for gamers basically is what they like. Uh, yes. Effects. Yeah. Yep. So he had uh, designed that for, um, uh, uh, yeah, gamers, whatever. Game, was. Gamer so, skins. Yeah. So, so at that point, were you already paying attention at that point to what was going on there? Okay. No. So the, the reason I bring this up is it seems interesting to me primarily because at this point, like you have a reputation, like you've built this brand, you, you, you have, you have this business you're giving access to essentially up and comers in that, in that case. And to me, that's like a really fascinating thing because, uh, someone who's built a brand, you know, like I, I can't, I, I wouldn't at this point in time, but I wouldn't reach out to Kanye, but you can imagine that a collaboration with Kanye pre him being an anti-Semite, <laughs> well, uh, that, that would have been, you know, something that a lot of people would aspire to. But to get on his radar is basically impossible. Now, obviously, Kanye West is a, a multi-billion-dollar like he has he he has generated a bunch of uh, value in the uh, in the in the fashion industry as well. But like to give that access is that kind of something that you value and that you you've done you know on a, on a regular basis because and like was there a similar break that some major brand you mentioned Urban Outfitters is one, but like was there kind of a, a moment like that that you experienced as well as you were going through those stepwise um you know yeah. leveling up basically yeah i mean that's a that's a incredible observation you just made because that is a a trait of mine that i think is pretty unique to me i think a lot of people 
hold their brands very sacredly as they should. But for whatever reason, um, I have a bit of a gambler's bug in my head. Um, you know, I, I play a lot of poker. I've been to the World Series of Poker a couple of times. And so I have this mentality where like, you know what? So, so here, here's the poker analogy, right? There's like, there's odds in poker, mathematical odds. Like you could look at cards and you could be like, I have a 72.8% chance of winning this hand, right? But then there's that gut feeling where I'm like, this motherfucker here, I don't trust his ass, all in, right? And that defies the odds. So when I meet with people like Artifact, and even though they're statistically like, what are you doing, Jeff? You're about to jeopardize your brand into this whole landscape that could be a complete sham and bullshit with these young kids who haven't really proven themselves yet. How are you going to do this? Yo, because it feels right. That's it. That's all I can tell you is it feels right, you know? Mm. And I would say on the flip side of that, like after, right after Artifact, we did a V Friends Gary V collaboration, right? So Gary V did, did I'll tell you how the, this story happened. Gary V posted on his Instagram, uh, Persuasive Pigeon, which is one of his V Friends. Mm -hmm. And I wrote in his comment, I never talked to Gary before this, by the way. I wrote in his comment, should Staple Pigeon and Persuasive Pigeon have a meeting, right? And then he writes back publicly on the DMs, like, you know, check your DM. Got a cell phone number within 10 minutes. We were on a FaceTime call and we made a collaboration happen between be friends and staple. So Gary did the same thing. Why would Gary just reach out? I mean, you know, granted, yes, I have a blue check or whatever, but like still like I ain't on Gary's level. You know what I mean? Like so for him to like reach down and be like, yo, Jeff, what you do is dope. I like what you're doing. Let's do something. So it's, it's sort of just like passing the baton back and forth. But I definitely have that gambler's mentality when it comes to like taking risks on people. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, for a lot of people getting your break, I guess, as you would say, um, is something that, and in this case, you know, in, in, in your situation that started at the beginning of your, of your like journey is, uh, essentially I, I'm one, one comment on that though, in 1996 or 98, seven. seven, seven yeah. Okay. So it, it, at that point in time, well, I guess the internet was around, but where was the virality of people seeing, uh, like, how was streetwear distributed at in that in that culture? Where did that occur? Was that literally just on the street, or like, where was that going down? It was at clubs and okay. bars and on the street. That's why streetwear is called streetwear. Yeah, <laughs> because you the only way you absorbed it was by fucking walking the streets, taking the subway, and like going to clubs. So I actually, on the side, back in the late '90s, was also a DJ. And I was an RI DJ. I was like a C plus level DJ. But my main impetus for being in the clubs was to make a little bit of side change while I could A, observe people and what they were wearing in the clubs. And B, if I had some samples, hand them out to people in the club. Mm. You know, so that was my thing. But like, yeah, back then it all happened in the nightclubs, man. What, what's your equivalent today? I mean, you have a pre-existing distribution system built in and you've now, you know, grown your audience on social media. Is that it? Like, is that the name of the game at this point? Like, have we, and, and, uh, I mean, is streetwear even streetwear at this point? Like, is it like, what, is it exclusively yeah. Instagram basically? It, so the new nightclub is definitely Instagram. It's all, it's all happening there. It's TikTok and Instagram, social media. But I will say that because of the oversaturation of digital media like that, when you do throw something in real life and you have people gather up like NFT NYC, the, the impact of that now is 10x more. And I'll give you the, the, the music example of that. Music example now is like, you know, everyone's got an infinite number of songs on their phone, right? But if you give somebody 
particularly somebody who's only absorbed music through uh, through MP3s, if you give them a techniques turntable and 10 pieces of vinyl, watch their minds explode. Like, wait, I'm putting a needle on a piece of wax and music that sounds richer than ever comes out of this. Like, or if you give a, a person who's only driven Teslas, like a manual transmission BMW, they're just like, what? I have to like put the car into gear myself. Like, but it's mind blowing when you see that happen because it's like, wow, the tactility of that is so dope. Um, and I think in real life is the same now. Like when we do in real life, we're doing the staple verse in real life meetup in two days in LA, like, you know, 75 people RSVP'd overnight. We already filled the space. I, I thought it was going to be like a dinner for 20. It's like 75 people. We have to like rent out this whole space now, but I'm really excited to actually like shake hands and have real conversations with people in this community that happens 99.9% .9 on discord or on Twitter. Come on, Jeff. You knew there were going to be 75 people that accepted that invite. I, no, I don't know about that one. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, one other thing I want to bring up is like this is back on the entrepreneurial side, something that you just kind of offhandedly mentioned, that whole DJing to put yourself in the environment so you could observe what people were wearing so that you could wear the clothes and maybe make sales there. It reminds me of actually DJ Premier, a hip-hop producer, but he also literally DJed. So he'd go to clubs and he would DJ and he said that he always always DJed and still does because he liked to pay attention to people's reaction to not only songs, but just specific sounds. And then he would download, you know, absorb all that information that he would uh, observe from DJing and apply it to his production. So I feel like you were doing the same yes. thing, but doing you it with the it. visuals on the clothes. Yeah, you nailed it, bro. And also the, the other takeaway on that is, you know, because of the financial situation that I was in, I could not afford to hang out in a club and buy drinks all night right. long until 4 a.m. I, If I was going to hang out there, I had to make money. Yeah. So my advice to, to anybody listening is like, if you want to get into a culture and learn something about that culture, there's two ways you could do it. One, you could be a looky-loo and just observe from the outside and, and fan out. Or you can infiltrate it and actually figure out a way to make yourself useful there. And to be honest, at that point, I, I would have cleaned toilets at the nightclub if I could get in there. You know, like I just wanted to be in there and make a couple of shekels on the side. But like that was the whole impetus. And, and the DJ Premier story is the same thing. Like he just wanted to learn. And what better way to learn than to actually contribute to the culture, you know? Even if you're not doing the thing that you ultimately want to do, exactly. you can work and make yourself useful, like you said. Yep. I mean, look at you. You mentioned the homie Fran, Fran Relations, right? Yep. Like, he, you know, he's not a quote unquote, like school designer, but like, look at the way he has made himself indispensable in this culture. He could have just been like a fan, but no, he became like a voice, you know, and it, I love seeing Fran do this and take on this whole new persona because I remember him as a kid that waited in line for sneakers back in the streetwear day. And now to see him get directly involved, it's also so indicative of web three because honestly speaking in the pre-internet web zero web one web two world a person like fran wouldn't be able to break through the gatekeepers that were installed to get into the culture but in web three someone like fran in six months could be like a named star in the culture which is so dope I think social media as a whole is like, you know, it levels the playing field. Ultimately, if you're able to, you know, generate an audience, build your authority, then it gives you the ability to, you, you have built-in distribution. The the thing I wonder about, is there a, a, a subculture that you're paying attention to right now? Maybe not, but I, I'm wondering that like, gives is Web3 that right now? 
Yes. I, I don't know. It, you think it is? Yes, absolutely. That's why I'm so into it because I feel the same energy with Web3 that I felt with streetwear and kids hand printing uh, t-shirts back in the day. And this, this winter that we're in right now, so don't forget, I started Staple in 97. If you remember the housing, like the real winter, the global winter that happened, right? In like 2006, 2008. So this winter that we're feeling, I've felt this in other industries mm -hmm. for the last 25 years. This is nothing new to me. Um, and it honestly doesn't, it's like, it's like a gnat for me. It doesn't scare me in the slightest bit. I mean, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, we're building, we, we're interested in this space. We believe in it uh, long-term. It's difficult to say, you know, where it's going to be. We're more documenting it than anything else. But it, it uh, Web3 still does feel, feels like and is basically piggybacking on social media to a certain degree. Like it's this, it's this integration between these two things of both uh, mm. blockchain and, you know, like uh, buying, ha having this digital asset but if yeah. social media didn't exist, I don't know if people would have any like interest in it whatsoever. And and ultimately, the uh, PO was saying earlier on our show, essentially, the PFP is the only utility at this point in time. Mm. But w there whatever. will be more. There you, you, will be you, more. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you that they're intrinsically tied, but I don't I don't think they're reliant. I mean, you could argue they're it's it's when I when I started Staple back in the day. Marketing was print advertising. I was mm -hmm. trying to get ads in Vice magazine and, and the source, right? And you could argue that like, man, if there wasn't Vice or the source, you would be nothing. Yeah, but if we weren't around, they would have nobody advertising in them. So it's like this very symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. where like if, if I mean, yo, if you ask anybody at Twitter, what did the NFT community to help Twitter as a company out? It basically revived the goddamn social media platform. Yeah, right? that's so fair. We, we need each other, I think. Yeah. That, a hundred percent. And and so uh, from more zoomed in, than I thought, here we go. So this was the artifact piece. We talked about this. Then we get to Stapleverse. And so yeah. Stapleverse uh, took, I'd say, the whole NFT space, you know, by storm. Obviously, you had a big name coming into it. You got a typo there, brother. Yeah, I think so. There we go. Uh, there we go. Um, and, and so it's a it was a an ambitious project. There were three mm -hmm. stages, if I remember correctly. For some reason, OpenSea is broken. C right now during the Jeff <laughs> Staple interview. Gotta love it, OpenSea. Um, but you know, Jeff, like when you were thinking through Stapleverse, yeah. like what what went into it, and and what was what was slash is the vision? Okay, so what went into it was like we just came off of this incredible project with Artifact. We now have the opportunity to build our own thing. And I think I took like a, a very streetwear sort of anti-establishment stance on it. I was like, I know everybody wants the pigeon, right? It would make so much sense and it would be such low-hanging fruit if I just did a 5,000, 10,000 pigeon PFP project and that was it. But I said to myself and to, to the team, like we have an opportunity here to tell like a much longer story, right? So. I was envisioning myself as if I was Kevin Feige writing Iron Man one and then thinking about Shang-Chi and, and the, and the rings like 25 years later and 26 movies later. So if I can begin like a Genesis of a story and begin telling that story now, this is the place to do it because I'm in control of my own, of my own storytelling. So in, so I said to myself and to the team, if everyone wants a pigeon, great. But in order to catch a pigeon, you have to feed a pigeon. And New York City pigeons, as you guys know, 
eat very unique things. They don't really eat like bird food and sunflower seed. You might find like a tea bag stuck in a beak of a, of a New York City pigeon or a used condom. No, like for real, for real. You know what I mean? Like you never know what's in a pigeon's beak. So we pick 20 things that like, whether it's a bagel or a shish kebab or like, you know, we do have one sunflower seed, which is the normal thing, but like a joint, you know, a crinkle cut fry. So we picked all of these things. And so people were getting these things. And I loved it because we we sold out of this entire collection. And what that told us, there's a syringe. <laughs> yeah, it's not <laughs> exactly I mean? their evolutionary diet, you know? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but what I what I loved is that people got it and they 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 supported and they were like, we understand that you're not giving us pigeons because we didn't reveal yet that what was gonna happen with these. Literally zero intel of what was gonna happen. Um so that was phase one. You get you you collect your food up, and then what happened in phase two was our tossing period. So if you could imagine the the visual of a guy sitting in the park bench and he's got his food and he's throwing it out there trying to catch pigeons, we had a tossing phase, which was essentially a burning phase, where you would toss your feed and try to get a pigeon. Now, as in real life, when you try to catch a pigeon, sometimes a pigeon catches you and takes a dump on your head, right? So you get shit on, which is good luck. It's, it's good luck if a pigeon shits on you, right? So when you tossed, you either got a pigeon or you got a poop. And so now we've intrinsically, what we did was we created three factions in the Stapleverse, Feed Clan, Poop Gang, and the Hood Pigeon Squad. And what and this actually came to fruition in, like as, as good as it could have come in, in, my, in my wildest dreams. People wanted to join the three factions based on their own personality. So it's kind of like, you know, um, this is such a weird comparison, but like, I remember when Sex in the City was big, you know, people were like, oh, if you like Carrie Bradshaw, it says something about you. If you like Samantha, it says something about you. Whereas like here, it's like, if you like Poop Gang, it says something about who you are. If you didn't want to toss and you wanted to stay in the feed clan, it says another thing about your personality. You know, and some people, the 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 really like savvy sort of like, um, uh, I guess like the statistically minded gamblers, they were like, no, I want all three coverage. I'm going to get all three, you know? So that was phase one and phase two. And now uh, just this month, we announced our phase three project, which is, which is Sapiens. Um, and if you go, I think if you go to stapleverse.xyz, you'll see a, you'll see a little preview of Sapiens. So all of this now, you know, is coming into fruition where like Sapiens is short for Homo Sapiens, which is people. So this is going to be the collection that is representative of the people of New York. So first we had the the poop, we had the pigeons, we had the the feed, but then who's who are the people behind this? That's that's something that I always knew we were going to reveal eventually, and that's what Sapiens is. So we work with an artist in Belgium named Rhymes Like Dimes to create these uh, these amazing characters. This is just, just one preview. Um, but yeah, this is coming out by the end of this year. Uh, and we're, I think we're really going to change the game with what we do with Sapiens. So R Rhymes Like Dimes, Nifty Gateway OG, known for making uh, dope like hip-hop artist representations in this artwork style. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, Nick, go ahead. Wait, so how are you going to... Do you like burn your other items to get these? Or like, how is that going to go down? Nick, are you in our Discord? Uh <laughs> Because you, you're asking the same question everyone asks on our Discord. Well, I mean, Ow. we're going through Ow. the same process with our with our own PFP. We got uh, a more a better artist, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we have better art, but it's about the same thing. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it's um, a little bit better, but you know. Um, we we uh, we will announce that very soon. Uh, we're going to announce that within the next 30 days of how of cool. how to get it. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, 
if uh, you didn't ask, but on our end, our uh, our entire process is through a burn um, uh, through a burn okay. me- mechanic for ours. So yeah, we'll see how that. Yeah, we're uh, we're that. that's definitely on the table. We're in discussions on it. Um, but what what I did announce already, so I can announce here, is that everyone who currently has a feed, a pigeon, or a poop in the Stapleverse, you're in. You're getting a Sapien one to one for sure. Um, the how, the specifics of the how are TBD right now. We're mm-hmm. going to announce it in the next 30 days. But if you have one, you're in, you, you still have a chance. If you, if you get one between now and, and mints, you're in. So like, we want to really take care of the people who are in phase one and phase two early. And so, you know, this is the next step in the Stapleverse ecosystem digital identity. Uh, I know it's early. I know that not all the details have been revealed. Is there anything else that you can reveal about Sapiens and and what they might mean to the ecosystem and, you know, any kind of interesting, um, you know, characteristics that they might have as NFTs? Yeah. Uh, One of the most exciting things um, that we're going to release is you can see how this character's outfit is changing between like a jacket and a a scarf and a gold chain and a polo shirt and things like that. Uh, And you can imagine now how they could wear a backpack. They could have different accessories and everything. So we're going to be doing we're going to be releasing Sapiens as a body, as a character. But then we're going to also be releasing these crates, which if you own a Stapleverse right now, you are we already airdropped you crates during our last keynote. So in these crates will be clothing and outfit items that can be equipped onto your character. You can dress up your character. Um, And we've actually even figured out a way where you can change up your character's look. All but like you could do it multiple times a day if you want. And it's gas free. It's totally gas free. And it's instantaneously near instant change on OpenSea. So you're, you're on the back end, you change your outfit, and then near instantaneous on OpenSea, it's going to change the outfit as well, and it's gas-free. So we're really excited about that because then what happens is if you look at the, the history of the last 25 years that I've been around in the game and all the collaborations at, that we've done, my Rolodex is fucking fat. <laughs> I, got a, I got a deep-ass Rolodex, right? So now once we've created this ability, imagine who and what I can call upon to then come into the Sapiens world to outfit your character with these partners and friends that I have. And then you tie in the ability that I have to have been creating a clothing line for the last quarter century. So if you look at that varsity jacket that's on the screen right now, to now make that into a real varsity jacket that you yourself can rock and match your Sapien or vice versa is like a triangulation that I am like, I've got goosebumps talking about it right now, you know, just thinking about the network, the ability to make, and then now the ability to equip your character is going to be really amazing. I think I've been discussing that and uh, kind of beating the drum around dynamic NFTs essentially. And that that's inevitably the next uh, phase of, of this whole process. Like it, because even in the case of uh, board apes, I actually think th- that we get to a point where people, like, as an owner of a board ape, I'm gonna be sitting there being like, "Man, I want to switch up like what that <laughs> what that character is wearing." And what's crazy is I own it, and I can't do that actually. That wh- whereas, like, if you own a, a, a the equivalent that was uh, being made was if I buy a house. I can knock down the wall if I want. If I buy if right. I buy a, a a painting, I can punch a hole through the painting. It's not the best move, but like it is an option yeah. that, that that I can do if, should I want to. And that's something that uh, 
right now it's sort of crazy that I own this thing, but I can't do anything uh, other than just say I own it. Look, I, uh, yeah. there, there's proof that I have it, but I can't literally do anything with it. Uh, and I'll never accept delivery of it uh, at any given point. Like it's just, it's just there. Exactly. And also you think about expression, right? So every day we wake up and Nick, you decided today you were black hoodie, P.O. you're gray hoodie, and I decided I'm white hoodie, right? We made this decision this morning. Diversity. <laughs> <laughs> but man, talk about hoodies. All we have is hoodies. That's like the trend right now, right? But um, no, but what I'm saying is like, you know, this afternoon, I might want to change into a button down shirt. And like with, with PFPs right now, you're like you said, even if you have a very valuable one, you're just locked into that one thing. What if like five times a day, I wanted to change the look of that? I actually think that people, young, old, male, female, whatever, will find it easier to represent their true personality through a digital avatar than in real life. Right. Oh, yeah. So right now, if you go on TikTok and Instagram, you know, all these people are like, quote unquote, representing themselves by shooting all these selfie videos and everything. But that selfie video that you're watching took like two hours of figuring out what to wear, hair and makeup, light, ring light, all that shit. Right. I think in the future, it's going to be, no, I want eight arms today and horns coming out of my head. Done. The, you know, I think that's going to be the future. I think the changing of it, you're spot on. Also, there's a very good chance. This, the rate at which AI stuff is like evolving right now, translations, everything else that's associated with it. I saw um, Mark Zuckerberg doing an interview with another guy the other day in a like sub dial. Uh, it wasn't Mandarin. It was like a, a small localized like dialect of Chinese right. basically. And the system yeah. was like perfectly translating the, the entire conversation. Uh, how we look is inevitably not going to matter in the digital world as well, because basically you can just represent yourself however you want. And, and that's, that's something that's like crazy to think about. Frankly, all the influencers right now that are models basically should like her, take that cash as fast as possible, basically. I agree. Uh, because, I agree. <laughs> because it's just going to be replaced. Like Also, you, you think about like the conversation of like people needing to look like Barbie and Ken dolls or Jenners and Kardashians in order to succeed. There's people that don't identify as either a hot woman or a hot man. They identify as like an octopus yeah. or, a, or an alien, right? Like, so it's, it's genderless. It's fucking like not even the right species. We're talking, you could be anything, you know? And I think that just adapts to us much better than like, you gotta be like, have like breasts this big, a six pack this big, hair that looks like this. Like it's so just prescribed right now. It's kind of boring to me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're spot on. We have seen pushback against that in the fashion industry now. It's sort of like even like some of the, I, th I feel like even like the women's clothing brands of like, loose fitting completely baggy and 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 it's also carried over to the men's side as well where it's just like you can't see the shape of the person's body to a certain to a certain degree yeah. um but yeah it, it'll be regardless it's going to be really exciting to see how this all plays out and i think what you're mentioning makes me even more excited about the potential within the nft space as we become more digitally represented the last example of this which whether or not it's relevant there was a Shark Tank uh, uh, episode I saw the other day where it was basically uh, a guy came on. He didn't get any money, but he basically pitched this uh, startup where it was like literally him pre-recorded to sit in a meeting and not even be there. <laughs> but but 
when you think about it right now, like you can't, it's, it's the, the hurdle to, to manipulate yourself is still pretty big. There's a couple of tools that exist, but you can't, like you're saying, represent yourself as a robot easily. Like you got to yeah. like dig around and find all this stuff. It's going all this becomes native. Uh, so it's, it, it is really exciting and it makes me think it, it kind of yeah. transforms fashion as well. Infinite yeah. possibilities, and infinite creativity. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Can I, one more example is, you know, um, we have a collaboration dropping this week, actually, on the 27th with Gutter Cat Gang. So Thanks. it's been so much fun working with Gutter Cat Gang because they are a primarily founded and led female NFT project, right? So I've been working really closely with Carly, who's one of the principals there. And she was just saying that, yeah, in, in, a, in a market that is like, heavily dude let's face it right it's like damn near 85 percent dudes for her to come out it was cooler and better for her to come out looking like a cat from the gutter than a woman like first of all how fucking crazy is that that a gutter cat has more like power and rights than a woman would in the nft space but she felt more comfortable saying like no we're gutter cats you know so i love that like just way that you can represent yourself in any way. And even like, I, I also want to give a shout out before I forget, like Ferocious, which is one of the first artists that really broke into it, that made me see the light. And he was a art fellow artifact collaborator as yeah. well. When I finally got to meet Ferocious multiple times in person, like if you, I don't know if you've ever, have you met Ferocious in person or if you yeah, crossed paths with him ever? He, he's not like a person that fits into boxes in society no. well. Right. Like you're he's like, oh, you're like, uh, yeah, you're you're, you know, like, no, like he doesn't check off any boxes. He's his own box. And it, it really requires something as open minded and as like democratic as the Web3 space to allow a ferocious ferocious would have had a hard time existing in Web2 for him to be winning like he is, is Web3 only facts, hands down, period. Hell is successful. Um, yeah, I mean, look, all this stuff is is totally on point. Um, and this collaboration with Gutter Cat Gang uh, looks, I mean, it, just the idea that is dope. And I didn't realize that they actually had stuff in Stadium Goods. I know they did their event there. Um, yeah. So, Jeff, I think one question that uh, a lot of people would love to know, and you kind of alluded to it. So you talked about these, these avatars. Uh, Rhymes Like Dimes is the artist. Very, very dope. And, you know, clearly you can see the fashion being integrated in. I think a lot of people would love to know, um, will there be integration between fashion and NFTs in, in the sense that you need to have the NFT to get access to some of the fashion? Because I think a lot of people think that if you did something like that, similar to how Gary V forced his audience to buy tickets to VCon via an NFT, it wasn't like you could go to Ticketmaster or go to OpenSea, you literally click on buy tickets to VCon on the website and it took you to the OpenSea collection. Can people mm -hmm. expect physical Jeff Staple goods, whether it's clothing or collectibles, that you only have access to via owning NFT assets? I would bet my life on it. <laughs> I would I would guarantee that for sure. I, and to be to be frank, that is where this market is going. It's it's the the writing is on the wall. That's where we're going. That's I wouldn't even call that innovation at that point, that's like a, a standard that's going to happen. We, we're actually trying to um, innovate even beyond that because we know that's going to happen. So part of the Sapiens project will allow for that integration of digital, the physical and back and forth. Um, but we want to add another little, uh, let's call it like a, like a KFC secret spice on top of all of that, that's going to make it even crazier to, to own one of these assets. 
um, and, and NFTs, you know, so like, I'm really excited about that. I, I can't reveal it right now, but it's something that like, uh, it, it's, it speaks really truly to my roots. Uh, another aspect of my career that I didn't even get to mention is I've, I've had a podcast on, on hype beast called the business of hype, where we've interviewed over 120, uh, peers and in, in, in industry influencers. Um, and I think I just have the ability because I've been in the industry to like really talk like appear with these people, you know, versus more like a, like a journalist would. So I get these like nuggets of information out of them. Um, and so I say that to say that will be like a little bit of a clue into the secret spice that will be added into the sapiens universe of like, to be frank, like education, learning, mentorship, like it's going to be insane what we're going to do. Um, my last question, uh, on my end is, can we show you our PFP and get your thoughts? <laughs> You mean on the you mean Nick, Nick? You mean the one that's better than ours? Yeah, you can show it, yeah. it's debatable, but uh, uh, I'd I, I love uh, we have we have bit, huge fashion ambition on our end. But uh, in all oh, in yeah. all in, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, we 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 haven't ex- we haven't shown this to anybody, but yeah, we've been working on that for uh, an extended period of time. So. Anyways, yeah. I didn't have that on my bingo card at the beginning of the interview, Nick. Nice. That was not in the doc, Jeff. But anyway. I, I, we didn't put it there, but, you know, sh- shoot your shot. <laughs> no, show me. I'll, I'll be your focus group. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jeff, you know, any closing thoughts for the audience? Anything they should know about Stableverse, Staple, or, or anything in between? Uh, man, I mean, just stay tuned to us on our Discord uh, at Stapleverse. We're uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're doing a big release at ComplexCon this year in LA on November 19th. Uh, so we're going to be there in force. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, we, we already talked about what's happening with Phase 3 and Sapiens. Check out Rhymes Like Dimes as well, like you said. Uh, but Sapiens is going to be something pretty amazing. And uh, we hope you guys join the community and, and have a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun making cool stuff for you uh, and just really unlocking what's going on like inside my brain into people who are in the community. So definitely looking forward to that. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining, Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you Jeff, too, guys. Absolutely. Anytime. Legendary streetwear, design, fashion icon, Jeff Staple. Thanks so much for watching. Make sure you follow Jeff on Twitter. See you guys next time. Thank you again, Jeff. See ya. Thanks.